We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, well, welcome back, Crossroads. Good to see everybody. How are you doing? My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Thank you for taking the time to tune in, to turn up, to be part of our worship services here at Crossroads. We're always glad that you've joined us. And uh, we're blessed to have you be a part of what's happening here at Crossroads too. And you being involved is making a huge difference in people's lives. And I love to let you know about some things that are just happening around us that you may not know about, but I think are really important for you to know, especially during these times that are so unsettling around us. Uh, and so what I wanted to share with you is that we've actually had some baptisms going on that are just awesome. And so uh, one of them is a Dylan. You'll be able to see Dylan. Dylan got baptized in his, in his backyard with, in his parents' pool. His, his awesome wife Courtney there with him. And, uh, and then Shannon was another one that got baptized just recently in her mom's pool. And if what you can't see in that picture is all the livestock that's around there, which is just amazing. And then just recently this past week, Julian and Cecilia Boswell, uh, they got baptized in Yosemite, in, the, in, in a lake in Yosemite. And then on top of that, they had gotten married just the day before. So just so cool to see what's happening. And I want you to know that you are a part of making that happen. Thank you for being a part of the mission here at Crossroads to let people, to, to allow people to learn to discover Jesus and follow him fully. That's our mission. That's why we're here. And we are so grateful that you're a part of that too. But guys, we're in a series that is called Winning, Finding the Wins in a World of Loss. And, and it's a series that we're looking at the world that we live in and finding ways to see wins that might be missing if we, that we otherwise might look past. And so last week we actually talked about how we find wins in our marriages. And didn't Pastor Jimmy just crush it? He did such a great job. I mean, the guy literally preached his guts out. I mean, he had his appendix taken out on Saturday. How crazy is that? I mean, now, listen, he's doing better. And, and, and unfortunately, though, they could not take out the Browns fan part of him. So he's still a little bit off, and we're working on that. But overall, he's, he's doing great. But I say this with all sincerity. If you missed last week's message, make sure you go and take a time to listen to it. Powerful stuff about how we can win in our marriage and how we need to be safe in our marriage. But this week, man, we turn our attention to something I hold very close to myself. And that is how do we find wins as a parent? Because can we just be honest? Being a parent is hard. I mean, really, really hard. Even in the most perfect of times at trying to raise kids from embryo to ejecting them out of your house into the world, it's hard. Because even on the days when you feel like you're winning, that can change so quickly, can't we? So just raise your hand if this, if this resonates with you at all. Have you ever had this happen to you? You wake up in the morning and things are great. I mean, the kids are happy. Everyone's smiling. There's giggles <laughs> all around. You're just, you know, you're crushing it. And then in the matter of a half a bowl of Fruit Loops, the whole stinking thing falls apart. There is yelling going on. There's accusations of treachery across the table. There may or may not be a coup to overthrow you as the parent. And you turn from being a parent to a hostage negotiator just like that in a matter of seconds. Am I alone? Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? I mean, what in the world's going on? In that moment, you feel like such a loser. You can't seem to find a win. But let me tell you something. 
Small wins are still wins. No matter how small they are, how fleeting they might be, how microscopic, you have to count whatever you can. A friend of mine actually told me about a time after they had adopted their kids and, and times are really hard when you do adoption. And, and she said the bedtime would actually the worst time is it lasted somewhat of four hours sometimes to put the kids to bed. And, and, and finally she just called the social worker and she got on the phone and she's like, this is what's happening. And she was in tears and the social worker told her this. She said, well, well, even in this, you could find some wins. She said, look at it this way. Tonight, it only took you three and a half hours to get them to bed. Even if it's a win that is small, you got to look for them. As a parent, that's golden advice right there. Sometimes you just have to find the wins. Because sometimes the small wins are all you got. But they can have big effects on your confidence to keep going as a parent. But what about in a pandemic? Parenting in a pandemic is, is like trying to, to raise your kids while traveling in, in class six whitewater rapids, except you've never been on white, rap, white, white water before. Uh, you, have, you have no life vest. You have no idea what you're doing. And everyone in your family is basically hanging on by one of the, like the Norwal blow-up thing that you get when you go to Walmart. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and the further that you go down the river... That there's, there's new challenges that you've never faced. And, and almost all of them are going to leave a mark on you. And all you have between you and that is a Norwal floaty. And, and parents, haven't we seen some pretty nasty marks being left behind on our kids recently? I, I mean, listen, our, our kids are, 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 are pulled out of their schools, their routines. They're, they're doing distance learning. They've been isolated from their friends. They're hurting from their social interactions. They've lost things like sports and dance and cheerleading and just being around their friends and hobbies. Even family interactions have been few and far between. Every time our kids turn around, it seems like something else is being taken away. I know, I know for my kids that's been true. I'll give you an example of what's happened to us in our life. In, um, my daughter Aniston and her friends Kylie and Danny. Kylie, you, you met her. Uh, she's one of our, our online hosts today. You know, Kylie and Danny, a little picture of them. Uh, Aniston, Kylie, and Danny, they, they actually they created, these three 11-year-old girls created a lemonade stand and cupcake stand. Started it right there in Escalon where I live. Not unlike nearly every other 11-year-old boy and girl that's ever done in their lifetime, they created a lemonade stand and a, and, a, and a cupcake stand. And now they took it a notch. They gave themselves a name. They called it Fruit Cakes. They even created a logo for it. Am I right? Pretty good. Great experience. They had entrepreneurial experience. They learned about profit and cost and loss. They even learned about philanthropy. As they decided, these three little girls, they decided to give a portion of their profits to the local, uh, the local uh, animal shelter. That's what they did. They had their fruit cake stand up for four times. They were doing great. That is until the city of Escalon sent one of the parents a cease and desist letter. No joke. Yeah. The, the city forced them to shut their stand down immediately until they got a food permit through the city. I mean, how low of a job do you have to have in city government to be in charge of being on the lookout for rogue lemonade stands being set up by deviant 11-year-olds trying to siphon off tens of dollars annually in tax revenue. I mean, you, you know things are bad in the world 
when your lemonade stand gets shut down by the city. Talk about a loss in life. But listen, parents, listen to me. We've all had our lemonade stand moments with our kids, haven't we? Moments where it seems time and time again they are losing even when we're trying to do our very best as parents. And I understand that there are two parts to this tangled storyline. There's the parent side who's encouraging the lemonade stands of life, okay? And then there are the kids holding melting cupcakes and empty lemonade cups on the side of a dirt road. So, So just so you know, We're going to spend some time, actually a whole message, just talking to our kids in the final weeks of this series. So don't worry about that. We're going to be dealing directly with it. Our our next generation director, Heather Mahoney, uh, she and I are actually going to team teach uh, about how how this whole thing is impacting our students and how even our students can find wins in this season. So you will not want to miss that at all. Don't miss it at all. But for today, I want to talk to all of us that are parents out there. Hello, everybody. And see, and, and I want us to see what we can do to start to win as a parent again. Or, or better yet, what are, the, what are wins supposed to look like as parents in the eyes of God? Now, I, I wish that there was a first book of parenting that we could turn to in the Bible. That would be frankly amazing. It also might be a little bit scary if we actually compared what it said to what we were trying to do. But, but as much as I've looked, there, are not, there is not a book like that. There is no 10 steps to being a perfect parent in the Bible. In fact, if you look in the Bible at the parents that are in there, it's, they're downright crazy. There was one parent that you read about that put their newborn baby in a basket and floated them down the river. Uh, one parent gave their inheritance to the wrong son because his wife uh, disguised the other son with goat hair on his arms to fool their father. Uh, one parent actually pretended that his wife was his sister to get out of getting in trouble. And then, oh, by the way, the son grew up to do the very same thing when he saw what his dad has done. I mean, that's a messed up Bible parents right there. But guys, even Jesus' parents had issues. But just for a moment, let's look past the whole, hey, you had your son in a barn outside for just a second. And if we look in Luke chapter 2, we read about a time that Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And after it was all said and done, they packed up and everything, they forgot Jesus at the temple... And they didn't realize that he was gone for an entire day. And it ended up taking them three days to find him. Does anybody feel a little bit better about themselves right now? I mean, at least you could tell yourself, I didn't lose God. Pretty good deal. But but although the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about how to parent, it sure does talk a lot about kids. The importance of them, the place, their place in the kingdom, that what, what they can teach us all, how they are to be the future, how we should protect and guide them over and over. We see it everywhere. So, so if God is that passionate about our kids, then how are we supposed to parent them well? What does it look like to win as a parent? Well, to begin to answer that, we actually have to get grounded first. Not like you're grounded because you got in trouble, but we need to be grounded. I mean, in this series, we want to know what the Bible says is a win and not what the world scorecard tells us. So to do that, we're actually using one in particular scripture for us to take a look at. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. It's our grounding verse for this entire series on how we can win in life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
Now, here's why this verse should encourage us. It's because who actually wrote it. A man by the name of Paul wrote this. And, and if you're not familiar with, your God, with God or with the Bible, man, I'm so glad that you're with us here today. And you might hear Paul and you're like, I don't know if that should mean much to me, but, but he's actually really fascinating if you know him. He, he's not just your run-of-the-mill religious guy. Yeah, he's, he's not a guy that drinks decaf tea up on a mountain somewhere, removed from all reality, and he's spouting off haikus just for fun. No, no, but Paul was a guy in the thick of life. He didn't just talk about Jesus. He suffered for Jesus. So, so when he says, like, hey, listen, I know what it is to be in need. Dude knows something about it. Because he was shipwrecked, lost at sea. He was mobbed, beaten, hungry, homeless. He was in prison. He knows what it's like to have nothing, to be in need. But then he also says, hey, listen, I also know what it is to have plenty. I know what it's like to have plenty. And the reason he says that is the church that he's writing to is a, is a city called Philippi. It's why it's Philippians. And he actually planted that church with a lady by the name of Lydia, who was a kind of a wealthy fashionista. She had all kinds of different homes and different things. Kind of think of like Beyonce of the day. You know what I'm talking about? But, but most likely she actually let Paul and his fellow ministry missionaries stay with her in her home to start the church. So he would have had plenty. He would have known about plenty. So, so in other words, Paul is a guy that knows what room service for food is all about and what begging for food is all about. He's done them both. But as you can see, as he weighs the want and the plenty, he realizes that neither is the win. In fact, put that scripture back up there because the win that he says is, what he actually finds out, he says the win is actually not need, it's not plenty, no, nope, it's neither of those. He says it's actually contentment. It's contentment. He says the win is to be content, finding peace in the purity of what you have right now. So, so how can we find that as parents? How can we find contentment as parents? What are the true wins as a parent? And, and I'm going to be honest with you here today. I was trying so hard to get this message right. I have never wrestled with a message so much in my entire life. Not even close. Nothing comes close. And, and I think here's why. I know how hard it is to be a parent right now. Because I am one. Guys, I'm at home with our two kids. With two different grades. Trying to navigate two different Zoom, uh, Zoom schedules. Just praying I'm not messing anything up and having them get flunked out for some reason. And so I'm in this with you. I, I get that. So, so I just wanted to do this right. I want to do right by you today. I want to challenge you, yes, but guess, I also want to encourage you as a fellow parent. So fellow parents and people out there, and let me just say this, if you're not a parent here today, you're going to get something out of today. You totally will get something out of today because it's so applicable to everything that's happening around you. So, so let me start off by saying this though to my parents right now, to my parents, I want you to know this, these four words, your best is enough. Just read that again. Your best is enough. You don't have to try to be more than you are. You don't have to try to be someone that you're not. You need, listen to me, you need to be exactly who God has called you to be. You need to be a parent to your kids, not someone else's kids on Instagram with all the beautiful filters all over it. Guys, doesn't that feel good? Your best is enough. I want to start there. But I also know that as a parent, all of us want to know if we're winning. Especially when it comes to parents that are Christians. 
and say, how do I know that I'm winning when it comes to God with my kids? So, so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at how we know that we're winning as parents. And, and even though I tried to make this super complex like before, God like slapped me on the back of the head. He's like, hey, hey, Brian, keep it simple, man. Which is exactly what I did. So do you want to know, are you ready? Do you want to know how we know for winning as parents? Do you want to know? Here it is, right here. We win as parents when we raise our kids to love God and love people. That's it. Now, now hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, 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 don't click off the, don't, don't, don't log off. Don't do anything like that. Hang on, there's more to come, okay? But, but that is the way that we know that we're winning as parents. If our kids love God and they love people, if that happens, we are winning. Now, listen, I can't take credit for this. This is straight up Jesus stuff right here. This is straight up Jesus talk. Jesus one day was being harassed by some religious people. That's what they did all the time. And Jesus famously said to one of them in Matthew chapter 22, as he's getting heckled by them, they, they ask him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that if you want to win in this life and in the next life, do this for me. Keep it simple. Do, keep it simple. I want you to love God and love people. Which is why this is so critical for us to do as a parent. See, see keep it simple. Keep it simple. Love God, love people. So, so how do we do that? Well, well, I'm going to give us several things to kind of chew on as parents. So it, this might be a great time for you to pull up that Crossroads Grace app. If you have it, all my notes are already there for you. Um, you can also find those notes on, in the online campus. You'll notice that there. Chat host, I want you to do this for me today. As we go through it, I want you to put every one of the points that I mentioned, I want you to put that in the chat so people can see it right there. Or maybe some people, you want to grab a notebook like my friend Glow, and she uh, grabs it, she writes down stuff, she color coordinates, it looks beautiful. And, and I just want to say this too, before we go on. If you're single or without kids right now, I know these things are going to help you too. <clears throat> in fact, you should also know that next week we're going to talk about how you win as a single. How do you find wins as a single? We need to do that. And I, we've got a fantastic message coming for you for that. But I'm telling you this week, don't log off, don't tune out. You are going to want to listen. Be, stay with me. I know you're going to make a connection with what we're going to talk about today. But, but, but just like, just, just for this, what I want to do is I want to make it simple, but I want to break it down together. So if we break down love God and love people, let's start off with love God. How do we raise my kids? How do I raise my kids to love God? That's the question. Let's talk about some answers to that. Number one, show them that you love God. Show them you love God. We can't expect our kids to love God if we don't love them ourselves. There is no doubt that we live in a world where many, many parents have told their kids... I want you to believe what you want to believe. That they don't want to push their kids away from God. So what do we do? We give them the opportunity to choose for themselves. Except nowhere else in our lives do we ever have that same approach. We don't, we don't tell our kids, you know, you make the decision. There's some traffic over there. You decide if you want to go out into it or not. Up to you. Don't want to force you. It, like we don't, we don't give them the option of that's a hot iron over there. Give it a try. You know, maybe you want to, maybe you don't. We don't ask them their opinion if they should go to school or not. No. We are the parents. We are to lead them. We're to direct them so that they're safe and they're educated and they're productive in life. That's our job. So why in the world do we take our hands off the spiritual wheel to allow them to go wherever they want to go spiritually? 
And then why are we surprised when they want nothing to do with God? That's beyond me. We, we, the parents, we have to be the ones directing our kids towards God. And it starts by making sure that we love God. The greatest gift that you can give your kids is a strong marriage, but more importantly, a mom and a dad that love God and have a relationship with him. So, so if we want our kids to love God, we have to love him first. Which brings me to the second point. Second thing that we need to do is we need to raise them to love Jesus. Raise them to love Jesus. And you might be saying, hang on, you're saying it twice. Hold on. Well, bear with me. As we commit to raise our kids to love God, we have to be specific about what that means. Because lots of people, don't you hear this? Lots of people say, you know, God or the big guy upstairs or Mother Nature or something like that. But we have to just make sure that we're specific and we're not vague about what God asks for us in order for us to truly love him. And see, that love is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen to what Luke says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, salvation is found in no one else, speaking of Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So raising our kids to love God means that we must draw them to love Jesus as their Savior because there is no other name under heaven by which they can be saved. So that's what we're leading them to. In order to love God, they have to love Jesus as their Lord. And then after that, that's when we get a chance to be practical with what they can do, to kind of help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. And that's what the remainder of these are about. Number three is that we want to raise them to love the Bible. Love the Bible. I I love what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9 says. Um, It says this. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them about, talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Oh, by the way, what were they to do? The verse right before that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. From the very beginning, we were to have God's word, God's impressed upon our hearts. So if we want to, if we want to win as a parent, We have to read the owner's manual, baby. We have to. We need to make the Bible part of our daily life and not just our church life. You know what I'm saying? So we need to read it together. We need to memorize it. We need to talk about it. We need to find maybe a family verse and display that somewhere in your home so you know this is what frames your home. See, see, one blessing from the COVID has been the time that I get to spend with my kids in the morning. I mean, before we do Zoom school, we start our day off by reading the Bible together. We just talk about it. It's been amazing. But I can tell the difference in them when they don't read it. Their attitudes are worse. Their schoolwork suffers. They're more moody. So so reading the Bible with our kids, man, that's so, so important. But but don't worry. We're going to help you with this. We totally are. I've got something that's going to help you with this at the end of the message that's going to make you a hero maker in your home. Okay, so you want to stick around. I've got something for you. But but after we read the Bible, we also need to do the next thing that we can do as a parent to raise our kids to love God. And that is, raise them to love to pray. All right, parents, hard question time. How is is prayer part of your family? Really? My wife, Sheree, and I, we have been consistent about keeping prayer part of our parenting and a part of our kids' life from a very, very young age. And one of the greatest examples of this is actually a story about my son, Easton. Uh, Easton now is eight, but at the time he was probably about two or three, I would think. We were living in Chicago at the time. We were in downtown and uh, we, were at, we were eating at a restaurant called Harry Carey's. Now, Harry Carey was the announcer for the Chicago Cubs, which 
The fact that I ate at that restaurant because I hate the Cubs so much is pretty profound. But the food was pretty good and um, yeah, whatever. So we were there with my in-laws. We were there at the, at the restaurant. It's one of those interesting spots that we, we were sitting down at the booth. Uh, but it was one of those booths that was like a, like a huge half moon where if you're in the middle of the booth, you're surrounded by everybody. And if you have to go to the bathroom, you go underneath the table. You know what I'm talking about, right? So I remember that I was on one part of the moon and on the very other side was Cherie sitting by Easton because he was small. He's in a booster seat on the other side. So they needed to get out or I needed to get out. We could get out easiest. So we ordered our food. We're hanging out, having a great time. And, and then all of a sudden the food came. And so they were kind of putting it out on the table. And, and we always pray before we eat. We, that's just what we do. Whether we're at home or whether we're on the road or wherever we're at, we always pray before we eat. So I grabbed the hand of the person around me. We all grabbed all the way around. I put my head down and began to pray. And then all of a sudden I hear Easton say, Hey! Hey, you! And so I slowly like look up. And sure enough, my son is, is standing with his hand up in the air, asking the guy that just brought our food to be able to hold his hand to pray with us. He was like, hey, like, this is what we do. They just grab my hand. We're going to pray, you know? Like, that's what he was saying in his two-year-old voice. And you should have seen, the, like, the face of the, of the server. He's like, like, if I don't do this, are you, like, not going to tip me or something? So he didn't know, like, what he should do. So I was like, it's okay, it's okay. You could go. And so he kind of, he quickly ran away. Like, he didn't want any part of the prayer table anymore. But my wife and I, we just loved it so much. We loved the fact that my little, little boy was not, one, embarrassed to pray in public, Number two, he knew how important it was. And number three, he just thought that everybody should be a part of it. So he was adding everyone he could possibly to the prayer train. Guys, I love that. I hope that's for your family too. See, prayer is more than something that we do as parents when we're at our wits end. Because we've all done that. God, help me get through this. But prayer is what keeps our families together. It's how we teach our kids the power of prayer in their life. It's how we show them. Through prayer, God shows us the winds of contentment, how to love him. So raise them to love prayer. But the last thing. Raise them to love church. Raise them to love church. This may be one of the most underrated aspects of loving God in our society, hands down. More and more people look at the church as an unnecessary part of loving God. You might hear it all the time. Ah, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You hear that all the time. But, but the fact that the Bible, the Bible places such a high value on the church shows us why we need it. Consider what the writer of Hebrews actually said about it. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 24, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, Paul would actually be more, a little bit more intense and direct in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So part of teaching our kids to love God is to love his bride, which is the church. Now, I don't think that any of us would say that a healthy home is one where the husband lets the kid badmouth their mom no matter what. I'm telling you what, right now, that would not fly in Team Hunt household. Tell you right now, I could tell you for certain. But riddle me this. Why do we allow God's bride, the church, to be treated so poorly? To be talked about so poorly? To be dismissed so quickly? My friends, we have to raise our kids to love the church. Not because I, as the pastor, tell you to, but because God loves the church. Our kids should love the church because God loves the church. So how do we do that? How do we love the church? Number one, we attend. We attend in person. 
or digitally or somehow, however we do it, we make it part of what we do. It's not a if we get around to it kind of thing or every other month we might go. No, we attend church. We make it part of what we do. The other thing we could do is we serve. See, when you serve, you are part of the church and the mission of the church. So, so are you, let me ask you, are you serving as part of a tag team here at Crossroads? Are your kids serving in some capacity? Are your kids serving with you? And guess what? During COVID, you're not off the hook. We should serve all the time. There's all kinds of ways that you can serve even part of COVID. So right now, chat host, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put the tag team survey that you could take right there and it's going to show you some areas that you would be fantastic in in serving and being a part of one of the tag teams here at Crossroads. Chat host, do that right now. People want you to click on that link and consider taking that. But the other thing you do, not only do we attend, not only do we serve, but we give. We give. We show our kids that giving to God's work at the church is not optional, but it is an opportunity. It is a blessing that we get to do. I showed you those baptisms at the beginning of the service. That is what you're showing your kids. Because we're being involved in the church, the church is impacting people's lives and they are meeting Jesus and that is a good thing. We need to honor God with our money. So raise your kids to love the church and the mission of it. And guess what the mission of the church is? Love God. Love people. So that's part one. Love God. But part two, we got to get to that. Part two is this. How do I raise my kids to love people? Love God, love people. How do I raise my kids to love people? Just like you can't expect our kids to love God without loving uh, him yourself, you can't expect your kids to love other people if you don't know how much God loves you. Think about that. And that starts with knowing the love of God in your life. To see the value that God places on every life. Listen to the words of John in 1 John 3, 1. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. How beautiful a word. It says he lavished. What did he lavish? He lavished love on us. He lavished love on us so that we could become his children, that we get to be his kids of God. Sinners like you and me, we are adopted into his family because he loved us, because of Jesus. That is powerful. And we weren't just adopted in as like add-ons to his existing family. No, no, we were created by him for a purpose. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. He says, for we, that's you and me, are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God says that you and I, we are his handiwork. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some days that I wake up and I don't feel like God's handiwork. I feel like a piece of scrap metal on the side of the work table, if I'm honest. There are days with my kids that, that I'm ready to throw my towel in. I feel like I'm a complete failure. I'm missing the mark. I'm failing them altogether. But man, God, time and time again, he's so good because he shows his love for us. He demonstrates patience and grace. Gives us strength. All because we are his handiwork. Designed to do good things. Designed to do good things for him. Including raising our kids. And when we believe that, then we can raise our kids to love people better. Because listen to me. Loved people love people. Loved people love people. So, so that's the idea. But what's the practical ways we could do that though? What are some practical ways that we can raise our kids to love people? Well, number two is this. Raise them to serve others. We have too many kids that think that they are on this planet to be served. They are waiting for someone else to do it for them or find an easier way out or to become a YouTube sensation, whatever it might be. 
And honestly, one of the best ways we can raise our kids is to be selfless with the heart to serve other people. And we find that in the heart of Jesus himself. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if we love Jesus, we want to raise our kids to be like him. And Jesus served people. So how are you creating opportunities to serve your neighbors, the underprivileged, the needy, the under-resourced in our communities? How are you doing that? When we are intentional about serving others, we will see the wins start stacking up in our kids' lives. But the next thing we need to do to get wins in parenting is that, number three, we need to raise them to encourage others. Dads, I want you to hang tight for a second because this is going to be one of those verses that's going to punch you in the gut because it does to me all the time. Colossians 3.21 tells us this. It says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It can be easy in the middle of stress and worry in a pandemic to forget about encouraging our kids. I mean, you have so much on your mind and all these plates that are spinning, it becomes easy to snap and discourage them. I mean, the audacity of them for not to be able to read your mind, to see everything that's on your mind and to bother you. How could they do that? My friends, take time each day to encourage your kids. Go over the top encouraging them because it costs you nothing, but it means everything to them to hear their parents say, I believe in you. You. And you know what happens when you tell your kids that you believe in them? They start believing in other people. They start encouraging other people. And that's what you want. Raise them to encourage others. And the way that they encourage others is if you encourage them. Number four, raise them to respect others. Respect others. Paul says in Romans 12, 10, he says, um, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Our world is all about putting ourselves above others, even if that means disrespecting them to do it. Look at any Facebook wall, you'll see it. We could pinpoint that lack of respect, I'll tell you that right now. We could pinpoint the lack of respect for so many of the problems we see in our world today. If we want to see our world change, it will start with directing our kids back to Jesus and teaching them to respect others, which also, hey, by the way, includes us as parents. Can I get an amen for some respect for some parents here today? The Bible tells this in Proverbs 1 verse 8. It says, listen my son to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. We should expect respect in our homes. If our kids aren't respectful to us, why in the world should we expect them to respect anyone else? Loving your kids doesn't mean you coddle them. No, 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 no. It means that you nurture them into who God made them to be. And at times, you'll have to do some redirecting and some disciplining to do that. But to win in parenting, we have to raise kids to respect others, respect their parents and respect others. This world will change if that happens. So, so what does all this mean? Well, it means that as we just said, if we want to win as a parent, it looks like this, this one idea. We win as a parent when we raise our kids to love God and to love people. <clears throat> That's how we win. Gang, if we could stay grounded in this, we are going to win. We will not feel as though we're losing with whatever the world is doing around us. We can stay grounded in this. 
But, but, but listen to me, parents, listen. Listen, parenting is not about raising your BFF. I can't stand that. You're not raising your best friend. This isn't creating your best friend for life. No. Parenting is about raising young men and young women that love Jesus and then love people and want to live their life for him. If, if we keep that as our finish line, then our wins are much more attainable and much more meaningful. This is how we find wins. This is how we find contentment as a parent. Guys, it's knowing that even, even if our kids don't have all the stuff that they want, they will have all they ever need and then some in the next life with Jesus. Now listen, I don't want you to walk away from this message thinking, man, how am I going to figure out all of that? Guys, this isn't about adding guilt to you. It's about helping you find wins. So here's the thing. I, I told you at the beginning a little bit ago that I'm going to help you do this. And, and here's what I meant by that. I want to show you something really exciting that our kids team uh, has been working on. Our kids team birth through six. Man, they have been, they've been busting it. And they have created what is called a family Devo kit for you guys. A family Devo kit. I'm telling you, this thing is epic. This thing is awesome. We actually have great resources. If you go to crossroadsgrace.org slash family kits, you're going to find out all kinds of things that's in here. And we are preparing these for you so you can pick them up in October. So this doesn't mean right now you don't have to freak out and do it right now or anything like that. You've got a little time, but I do want you to go there. I want you to register. I want you to get on it. This isn't like, hey, you got to start it tomorrow. No, no, no. We're going we're gonna to help you through the whole thing. These kits are going to be personalized for you. So if you have a family that has a two-year-old and a sixth grader, we're going to personalize this for a, second, for a two-year-old and a sixth grader. And, and inside this kit are some really cool things. I mean, we've got, we've got um, journals and workbooks for the kids, parent guides that they could go through, uh, all specific to them. And they're fun, too. The, the kits, the, these kits allow our, our kids and, and you to do it at your own pace. It's not a get-to. It's a, I get to do this thing. It's going to be exciting. You could choose the start date. You could choose the end date. There are no screens. There are no Zoom calls. There are no logins. Hallelujah, there's none of that. There's 24 lessons that you can, you can go through. You can get, a, a, get more information, crossroadsgrace.org slash family kit. The cost is, it's $25 per child, sibling set, right? There's discounts that are available for that. But listen, this is going to support you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to help your, you as a parent, help your kids love God and love people. Our kids have been busting it for you to be able to help you help your kids love God and love people. And, and, and guys, listen, if you're not local either, if you're watching this and you're not local, we want to help you too. Just tell us where you're at. We'll mail this thing to you. We'll, we'll get it to you one way or the other. I'm just telling you right now. We want to help you wherever you're at. So these family Devo kits, you're going to find out more at the end of it. Uh, Miss Heather and Kyler are going to tell you a little bit more about it. But we're telling you, we're, we're here to help. We're here to help you. But here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to remember. Listen to me. Remember where we started. Your best. Your best is enough. Your best is enough. Because as Christians, we rely on the strength of Jesus to get us through. And, and at a communion, we remember that, that it wasn't our best that saved us. It was Jesus' best. So when you think about your life and your eternity and you think about your future, 
It's not your best. Your best will never be enough there. Jesus' best is enough. And that's why communion is so important. Because it brings us back humbly to the foot of the cross. And it says, Jesus, you, you are enough for me. And so I'm going to give my life to you. Everything that I'm about, I'm going to give to you. Because you are enough. So you are going to help me parent. You're going to help me at work. You're going to help me get through this life. You're going to help to get me through pandemics and the uncertainty. But you, Jesus, are enough. So don't try to do it on your own. You'll fail. But with Jesus, you won't. Parents, you win when your kids love God and love people. You win when you realize your best is enough. You win when you realize that Jesus is enough. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.